This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 91, and we're recording on Thursday, January 29th. I am Rebecca Shinsky. I'm back from vacation, and I am here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're the editors coming to you from bookriot.com. We're here. We are here. Welcome back. Thank you. Are you all de uh, frosted? Thawed or defrosted? De thawed would mean you're frozen. I am defrosted. I I did reach, I was skiing last week and I reached that point where my toes were so cold that they were hot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I don't know if that's healthy or not. No, you're not. I think that's hypothermia when you start to feel warm again. That's one of the warning (laughs) signs. Yeah, only parts of me started to feel warm again. (laughs) The rest of me was too filled with mountaintop waffles Mm. to think about anything else. Um, well, but I it's read genuinely some... crappy here in New York this week. Uh, and I'm actually counting down the days to March 1, 31, if anyone's counting. <laughs> Do you have a paper chain? No, oh, I don't need a paper chain. That's for amateurs. I know uh, what I'm doing. But it's so, you know, it's festive. Mm, you get to tear off yeah, a link every know. day. Winter it's... after New Year's just is a drag. That's just a drag. So how are you feeling? I'm about okay. Not the good. Ground, yeah. The groundhog. Like, do we have, I guess we have hopes about what the groundhog will see. Oh, when does that see. happen? Did we On see the... The second, right? It's coming up next week. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. Right? Maybe Groundhog be, Day is February second. February second. I don't know. You, I, you may be shocked to learn that I don't really use that as a sound meteorological uh, forecasting tool. We could do methodology corner Groundhog Day. I don't edition. even know how you approach that. Just know that's we, what you're. It's method- a big. <laughs> it's a big joke because it's either six more weeks of winter or spring comes six weeks sooner, right? But. It, but it's still like it's six weeks until spring. Oh, is that, is that the joke that everyone knows that it's I six think, weeks anyway? I feel like I got tangled in the, you know, MC Escher loop right. logic of Groundhog Day one year and remembered being like, it's all the same thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think his excuse to drink in the morning. <laughs> I think that's what it is. <laughs> Who needs an excuse? Well, I don't, I'm not, there's not much of one. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Uh, we don't have any sponsors this week. We're our own sponsor, it's Jan, man. There's a, little, there's a little lull in advertising in January, and so we're having a little lull here. So we're going to be our own sponsors. So what are we going to shout out? We're talking about our quarterly box. Mm. Um, the next one, which will be the sixth of the Book Riot main box, is open for subscriptions now through the end of February, and it will go out in early March. Yep. Uh, you are guaranteed a box if you subscribe by Valentine's Day, which you can do at bookriot.com slash quarterly. Uh, after that, you can cross your fingers. Uh, we'll see how ordering goes. But it, we're going to have like 2,100 subscribers. I know. It's so crazy. It's so great. It's so much fun picking books and bookish stuff to send to people. And there are awesome things in the works for this one. Um, so 50 bucks a quarter, you get books and awesome bookish stuff that we recommend, plus like exclusive items that we create for the box and exclusive extra content that authors create that just goes to subscribers. It's really fun. Uh, also, we have the YA box. It's finally coming. Finally coming. And that will start in April, but subscriptions are going to open later this week. And so by the time that you are listening to this show, the subscriptions for the YA box will also be available. And we'll put a link to those in the show mm-hmm. notes. That'll also be 50 bucks a quarter. You'll get YA books and bookish items that readers of all ages will enjoy. So like uh, we might put a boozy type thing in the adult box, but we would not put a boozy yeah. type item in the yeah, YA box. so if you wanted to like give it as a gift to right. you know a, a teen or someone that yeah. is not uh, of age, 
It'll be totally appropriate for that. Everything in the YA box will be appropriate for people who are not adults, but we're not going to be picking items that are only geared yes. toward kids or teenagers. Adults can enjoy those things as well. So um, our good friend and colleague, Kelly Jensen, who is just a YA wizard, uh, is curating that She stuff. is a YA wizard. She does these <laughs> YA should... book previews that are awesomely it's insane. Like 900 YA books yeah. to have on your radar for the year. She just... She is. We should make her a YA wizard. 2015 like a YA titles featuring left-handed protagonists. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding, but sort of not. Like she knows right. all of the titles. <laughs> she does. And it's tracks amazing. them and categorizes them. Really superb stuff. And so there, these the YA boxes are going to be great. Um, I'm looking forward to subscribing to it and trying to keep some of the things as a surprise for even mm. myself. Even oh, though that's I'm, a good point. Yeah. I'm working on the boxes with her, but it'll be fun to get mail that I don't totally, at least I won't have read the books. I've read <laughs> all the books we put in our corner. And, and I, may, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school, but one of the books in the regular box, I guess mm-hmm. we're going to call it the regular box, the non the main, the main line, uh, you had to go get reprinted. One of the books. They went to the public, they had to reprint some for us. Cause in all fairness, in, unless it's front list or even a recent paperback or yeah. like, you know, well, something that's a long tail like Gatsby, there's, you know, there's a crater where they're not going to have 2,100 copies of a book just sitting around necessarily. Yeah, it's a funny thing to call a publisher and say, I'd like to buy, you know, more than 2,000 of your book and the publisher to say, no, you can't because we don't have that many. Yeah. Um, so on behalf of our quarterly subscribers, I stomped my feet a little bit and mm-hmm. said, no, but really, don't you want to print them so I, so that you can sell them to me? Yeah. Well, and I don't know, I really know very little about the technology of publishing. That's something I'd like to learn more about. But I thought one of these things we were going to do now is these espresso book machines and print on demand stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about it, clearly, but I'm just putting it out there. If you had an espresso book machine, couldn't you print 2000 copies of a paperback? I have, I guess. I mean, I don't even know. How long does it take for, it's like seven I, minutes or something. Is, yeah. I'll look this up. We can, I'll, follow, I'll do some you, of my own follow-up for next week's show. You could. I'm the, I've only actually seen the Espresso Book Machine in action for like titles that are currently out of print mm. and that, and that's why they are print on demand. Like this isn't a thing we keep in our warehouse at all, but if you want it and then you happen to be at a bookstore that has the espresso book machines which we haven't heard anything about them in a long no, time like it was uh, yeah big there was some library i saw the only story i've seen recently is some library had and one, one of the it. big indies in new york oh. had one or has one yeah I, is it, it might be mcnally jackson? jackson i think, I think so. it's Mac- oh one of our writers Kristen stickles works there we, we should ask, ask her. her yeah um but the print on demand has always been pretty expensive like mm. for for if you're ordering a print on demand book. I don't know how it works if you're getting it in person. It feels like that. Well, anyway, I guess my point was couldn't um, (laughs) big five publisher X have a couple of espresso book machines around Mm. in case someone came a knocking and wanted to order 2100 copies of um, my cat is a burrito. I think those are you get a different end product out of the espresso book machine than you get when the book goes through the regular printer and has the nice pages and the hard cover or the pretty designed soft cover like 
Mm. Your facts but are displeasing to me. About you don't that. get the. You don't. I know you don't get like the full design and the regular cover that looks and feels exactly. I guess the way. that makes sense. Yeah, it's a different. It's a different thing. But you would think. But you I mean, see where they I'm did, getting at here. Yes, to this publisher's credit, not they came around and decided to print them. Uh, but it was weird. I was like, seriously, you don't want to sell me two thousand yeah. copies of your book? But um, um, we did. You did you twist some arms and pull some ears or whatever. I fluffed my tutu in yeah, the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. So that's so. Those are their quarterly are boxes, coming. and so if, if you haven't looked into those, and uh, you should. And thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll thank ourselves for sponsoring ourselves. Yeah, we and make this all possible. While we're talking about ourselves, our hundredth show is coming up really quickly. Yeah, and we've already promised that we'll do. We're going to spend that episode doing a Q and A, ask us anything, and we'll answer what we feel like answering. Yeah, <laughs> whatever seems like the most fun and not completely <laughs> right. embarrassing. We'll do. We could do some embarrassing. That's okay. Oh, yeah. Um, We've established my threshold for uh, revealing embarrassing Mm. things is relatively low. (laughs) (laughs) Ask us whatever. You can send emails to podcast at bookriot.com or shout us out on Twitter and we'll kind of try to keep track of those. As celebration of our 100th episode, we've been toying with the notion of doing a special limited edition Book Riot podcast Mm t-shirt. And we have some ideas. We're thinking about maybe books are in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Or books ring my bells, mm-hmm. or a Morrison Robinson 2016 like political campaign yeah, poster. Yeah, presidential T-shirt. If you've got an idea that's better yeah. than those, let, uh, let us, us know. know. Or even a bad idea that might lead to a good idea. You can shoot us an email at podcastatbookright.com. I'd like to make a D Brizzle pimp chain, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know how many of those. We I don't can think sell. you can get those on Teespring. Yeah, we're thinking of maybe doing. <laughs> we'll do these for a limited a limited print run. They'll be fifteen or twenty bucks. And yeah. uh, we don't have to sell too many, but it'd be fun. I'll buy one. I'll buy oh, one yeah. for sure. Uh, so that's coming up. Yeah, we're going to need some questions. If you want a recommendation, that's fair game. You know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do, we'll, we'll try to make a good hour out of it. Okay, well, should we get into news? Let's, Let's do, do follow-up. Uh, Chipotle. Um, they they're, they're doing more of these cups with writers doing stuff on them. Uh, we've got, um, let's see, who's new? Julia Alvarez. Julia Alvarez, Augustine Burroughs. Uh, Aziz Ansari. Paulo Coelho. Uh, Barbara Kingsolver. Uh, Walter Isaacson. He, he wrote um, The Innovators in that mm-hmm. Steve Jobs bio. Um, so I guess they were happy with it. Yeah, Julia Alvarez is notably the first uh, Latino person to be on mm. one of these cups, which was one of the pieces of criticism when the series first rolled out of like, oh, we're having Mexican food, but there are no Mexican writers. Right. Yeah. Um, you can, it's a Vanity Fair piece that we're going to have a link to, and you can actually read all of the pieces, which are designed to be read in two minutes each, um, on the back of a cup, which let's be real. We are all compulsively reading what's ever on the back of. That's right of cups at Chipotle. So it's nice to have some reading material. I like Aziz Ansari's piece here. It's about, you know, wanting to find the best toothbrush and Googling reviews for toothbrushes and then (laughs) having a crisis of confidence about his ability to buy a good toothbrush and trust online reviewers in a great Aziz Ansari. Uh, Paulo Coelho's is a little um, insufferable parable. About... (laughs) I read it too and my eyes rolled so far back in my head. Yeah. I think Paulo Coelho is where my snob factor kicks in. 
Uh, yeah. I don't even know if it's a snob factor. It's my intolerance for like uber earnest things. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's I don't know. I, I don't. It's not my thing either. I don't know exactly what vector of terribleness it, in, it evokes in me, but it definitely is yeah. one of them. Like the alchemist is in someone else's wheelhouse. And, it's and like judging so far, by how many people have read that book, some of you out there like The Alchemist. Just yeah. statistics alone, I, right. I don't want to... And in our know, own polls about favorite yeah, books. Yeah, it comes up. It's just not my thing, no, man. I can't get there. Um, anyway. So this is a nice parable about people hauling pitchers of water and an old man having a pitcher that has cracks in it and the pitcher apologizes to him because it feels bad that he only gets half the water. But lo and behold, it turns out that the old man loves this cracked pitcher because he has been using the cracks and the leaks of water to water the vegetables and flowers that he sowed on his water-carrying fruit. Yeah. I guess it's kind of it's a neither fish nor fowl situation with me. It's like it's neither, I don't know, philosophy nor li- fiction. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of it's this weird, I don't know, ersatz fable mythology I, I don't know there's something about it yeah, rubs it me the wrong way but I like, uh I, that's a big get for them i would think i mean oh, that's a that's a name well, yeah, a lot are, of people know these are all big names um which like it's so interesting and funny to me every time i get a chipotle cup with tony morrison or george saunders <laughs> on it like it's just such a weird moment <laughs> right it's very strange well i was thinking like what of these the people that like the you know probably the people that go into chipotle are a pretty broad swath yeah. of the American, I don't know if it's international chain now at this point or not, but we'll just speak about America for the time being. Like probably is Coelho the most recognizable name on there? Aziz Ansari? Like what if we yeah. did a poll of 100 people randomly walking into Chipotle saying, mm-hmm. which of these names do you recognize? I mean – because Aziz Ansari is famous, but he's not that. It's not like Tom well, Cruise. Barbara Kingsolver is award winning, but also really commercially successful. Yeah. Like, you know, the Poisonwood Bible. Right. Augustine Burroughs is also very commercially right. successful. I feel like every book club in America has read both of the Poisonwood Bible and Running with Scissors. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Those maybe are, the Alchemist. Those are big names. There's an interesting quote from Alvarez um, at the top of this Vanity Fair piece that it says was provided in materials that came from Chipotle, where she's talking about loving the democratization and liberation of literature from mm. the gated communities of those who already have access to literature and an inclination to seek it out. Um, and she loves the she says, I love the idea of taking Toni Morrison or George Saunders or Jonathan Safran Foer out of the classrooms, down from the bookshelves, out of devices and putting their two minutes of wisdom or whimsy in front of people, people of all ages, backgrounds, races, ethnicities, instead of the usual reader types and intellectuals, Hmm. Um, which I think is the heart of what this project is supposed to be. It also makes me kind of want to see more. I mean, I love the notion of putting Toni Morrison, of course, in front of anyone and Mm -hmm. everyone. But if you're really trying to reach the masses who aren't necessarily readers, but maybe could be persuaded to be readers for two minutes on their Chipotle cups. Tony Morrison and George Saunders aren't the most accessible places to start. Like, wouldn't you start with, with a James Patterson type name that's widely recognizable or, or maybe the um, name recognition doesn't matter because as you said, uh, you're going to be reading the cup anyway. Right. That's true. I was thinking maybe one of these should be in Spanish. Mm hmm. Um, When Alvarez's is about. Yeah speaking Spanish, moving to the United States and, you know, learning to speak 
Spanglish. Hmm. Anyway, so that the train, the Chipotle train rolls on with literary cups and bags and whatever else you can get there. So this makes me yearn for like books and burritos to be a thing. Mm. I really, I started oh, thinking about thing. it. I was, I ate Chipotle when I got back from vacation last week and I texted Jen, our, uh, our events director and was like, new idea. <laughs> Chipotle sponsors lunch at the oh, Book Riot there Live you event. Go for Book Riot and we have Live. a books and burritos thing. <laughs> Maybe we should have like an event where you, uh, you get bags and Sharpies and you do your own Chipotle bag, your own oh. short story. Mm. We can sell them to Chipotle for giant piles of money. <laughs> Do you think that's how it works? Sounds like it's good. Uh, Speaking of giant piles of money, uh, Water for Elephants, which speaking of books, everyone read. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, are people still picking that up? I wonder if we had our if we had our magical book scan subscription, we could see how many units Water for Elephants still sells every month. Anecdotally, I saw someone reading it in the airport over Christmas. Oh, okay, interesting. And I I do see it on you know the Barnes and Noble paperback favorites. It's there Mm -hmm. with the help and the lovely bones still. So I'm sure it's moving some. But anyway, it's getting a a Broadway musical adaptation uh, that's going to be coming out in the fall, I believe. Um, and also Sarah Gruen has a new book coming out in March. Yeah. She had a new book out last year or the Is year that right? before that yeah. was just kind of, it, it was quiet. Came I feel like went. anything you do after water for elephants. Yeah. It's that huge. huge. I think this will make a good a musical. Quieter. I linked it up in critical link. And I said, you know, it's got mm-hmm. a big love story, yeah. lavish sets, colorful characters. Um, probably will even have the advantage of that. The movie didn't have of not having to have Robert Pattinson in it. <laughs> uh, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, I will go see this. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a good spectacle. Circus mm-hmm. plays well on stage. It does, know. and like you said, I think it was in Critical Linking that it's colorful, and there aren't that many sets. Like I started no. thinking about the logistics, and you have like the train, right, <laughs> and the circus. Yeah, it's kind of like you do the rent set. And, like the top of the train could be mm-hmm. one, and then like the, the inside of the big top, and that's kind of it um, going around. So and that'll be good. And it, the surprising piece for me in this Hollywood Reporter article is the reminder that Water for Elephants came out in 2006, like that it's almost been a decade. Oh, man. I, everyone was reading that book. Did mm-hmm. you read it? I did. Yeah, I did too. I remember and liking it okay. It was, that was pre-blogging for me. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, and I read it, yeah, because I didn't start blogging until 2008. And so I remember when I got sort of into publishing, learning that Water for Elephants was, it was, that was Algonquin Books. And it was a huge breakout for them that apparently they had challenged indie booksellers to like sort of prove that indie booksellers had the power to make a book a bestseller. And Water for Elephants got its hardcover buzz from indie booksellers. And then by the time that it came out in paperback, it broke into, Mm. um, you know, into the book club set, into big paperback sales and into everyone reading it. But that's one that indie booksellers, I think, rightfully take credit for and that Algonquin credits indie booksellers with the making Mm. of that book. Um, A Reliable Wife by Robert Gulrich, sort of similar story, also Algonquin books, but... Uh, we don't. I haven't heard that at least in a while about a book being made by indie booksellers, and that was a big story around Waterfell. Well, then we talk a little bit about that around the empathy exams. Oh yeah, that it yeah. was maybe also the internet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but indie booksellers pushing it and being excited about it. I mean, I know I saw a lot of chatter about it before it came out. Um, from a variety of sources. So I, I don't know about that. I think you told me that story about, I forgot it was Water for Elephants. Yeah, I don't know if I've told before. you that story or if I've told the story on the air before. No, Sorry if that's right. a repeat. We're 91 episodes in. There's going to be a little repeat. That's just going to happen. Um, speaking of independent booksellers, uh, 
the, I, this came across my um, my internet. Tra- Actually, Michelle forwarded this story to me this week. Hmm. Um, it's called City Shelf, and it's uh, it's it's a it's a local New York City website. Well, it's a website, but what it does is a combined search t- tool for eight of New York City's independent bookstores. So users can search the site and see which of the stores have it and compare prices. And I think they can um, they can buy it and then have it shipped to them right there. Yeah, it's uh, a New ahead. York City indie alternative to Amazon, basically. Mm-hmm. It's it's designed to be used on smartphones. So, you know, it's it's meant to be browsable in your hand, which I think is an interesting choice, mm-hmm. right, um, for sure. And uh, if right now it's, a, it's only for these eight, but eventually he'd like to expand. Um, the guy who started as a poet and uh, Ben Perkett, um, who created this site with fellow poet and technologist Eric Weinstein, designer Liz O, and product designer Javier Lopez. So um, they said they've got about a thousand consistent users, and uh, they're going to see what's what's going to happen. But I think it's a super interesting idea. Yeah, it's cool. They have um, Astoria Bookshop, Bank Street Books, Book Culture, Greenlight, McNally Jackson, St. Mark's, The Strand, which huge inventory. <laughs> oh the boy, Strand. no kidding. There's like eight miles of bookshelves or something in there, um, and Word, which has uh, locations in Brooklyn and in Jersey mm-hmm. City. Those are our buddies at Word. Uh, I love this. I think you could move it into other cities that have lots of bookstores also. Like Chicago has a bunch of indie bookstores. Boston. LA has, yeah, Boston. Um, yeah, it's Probably not applicable in a bunch of places, but a handful of cities that have enough indie bookstores to make it doable. It's cool. Like, well, we have a bunch of, you live in New York and we have a bunch of contributors in New York. And I've had actual moments where one of them has texted me from being inside the strand going, I'm standing in front of the James Salter shelf. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which book should I? Which am I should I get here? Right. And I'm like, oh, I've done something right in life that this is the text I'm receiving. But here, well, here's my first pick and here's my second pick. And if we'd been able to do it backwards and me just send them my first James Salter pick, then they could have used this to search for which store had it. Because it mm-hmm. turned out that at that moment at the Strand, neither of my first two picks were in stock. I think this is cool. I would use this thing, like wandering around the city being like, okay, this is the book that someone just recommended to me and I yeah. want it right now. I think it's cool. I guess I guess for me it would be – because I'm looking at the map and just thinking about it. The, only a few of the bookstores are super close together, mm-hmm. like the Strand, McNally Jackson, and um, St. Mark's. Right. Word is, you know, in Jersey City, uh, Jersey City and in Green Greenpoint. Greenpoint. Um, you know, book culture is on the Upper West Side. Astoria Books is in Queens. So it's not like you're like, oh, they don't have McDonald Jackson, but I see they have it at Astoria Books. Let me hop on the train and be there an mm-hmm. hour later. Yeah. So I don't, I mean. But if you can order it. If you could order it. I don't, I'm looking now. I'm not sure that you can um, because, as I said, it's, it's meant for mobile and I haven't put it on my phone. So I'm just looking at the, the web version, which is an about situation. It says it, you can reserve it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think most independent bookstores will ship it to you, but sometimes you have to pay some extra. Yeah, you just have to pay the shipping. Um, if, if there was a buy now and ship to me button, now we're talking. For mm-hmm. me, because then I could, you know, support an independent bookstore when I'm in the mood to do that. I'm not always in the mood to do that, but sometimes I am, just to be quite honest. Um, that would be great for sure, especially since most even even just the functionality of most independent bookstores websites aren't great on mobile. Right. For reasons I understand, like it's expensive to make something look good on mobile and have all that e-commerce. Maybe you should get with spare, Squarespace, use offer code, right? Get 10% off. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out here. But 
this is a really nice looking mobile interface. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really very cool. slick. Very good looking. So that's city, think, cityshelf.com. Yeah, I think I'll try it. I'm going to be in New York next week. I think I'll try it. If yeah. any of you guys want to try it who live in New York, let us know. Let us know how it works. Yeah. Because it is true that uh, you're not going to find everything at every independent bookstore. I mean, I think sometimes we forget that those of us who use Amazon regularly or even exclusively, you're just used to being able to get the thing in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we hear people say I was in the store and they didn't have it and I ordered it. And if it's something you want today, that might be interesting. If you're doing gift shopping or something else like that, then you could at least find it immediately. Um, this feels like follow up. But speaking of pre uh days, we missed the girl with the dragon tattoo because it was just too early as a, as a phenomenon. But we will not yes. miss this. And that is the fourth book in the increasingly misnamed Dragon Tattoo Trilogy is going <laughs> to come out in August. They just keep calling it a trilogy. Trilogy. Nope. Nope. Uh, so apparently, Stieg Larsson left behind a almost finished manuscript for a fourth book, mm-hmm. uh, but he died. Um, and another writer has picked it up. Another, no. let's see, let me find this guy's name. David Lagerkrant. Lagerkrant? Yeah, we apologize for our Nordic mispronunciation. Um, so that's coming out on August 27th. They're keeping the wraps on the, the plot, though Elizabeth will be back. It's called That Which Does Not Kill. That Which Does Not Kill. I wonder if they're going to try to, is that the English title, did they say? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just says that which does not kill was completed in November. The by girl David. who does not kill the girl mm-hmm. without the killing. They'll rename it. Well, I, like that. I, it feels to me like a, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger play mm. perhaps like that, which does not kill. Oh, I makes see what you you're a saying. better hacker. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, Interesting. So, I remember like when, when Stieg Larsson died that there was a bunch of there was. There was a big conflict lawsuit. about his estate and his wife or partner that, um, you know, survived him had these had mm-hmm. at least one manuscript and what was going to be done with it and would the series be finished because it was supposed to be like four or maybe even more he said he had plans for seven then four okay yeah so uh i i'm in i'm in i like these mm-hmm. they're good plain reading um super violent a little more violent than i like myself i have to say it's 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 past what i'm usually comfortable with but i got into these i remember yeah i i really liked the first one mm-hmm the second one felt like middle of trilogy to me, and I don't think I finished the third one. But I'm gonna—I'm curious about how this I did experience. Read the th- I remember is the third go. one being mostly set in the courtroom. That's my memory of it. It's That's been a the while. Hornet's Nest one, right? The uh, girl who kicked the Hornet's yes, Nest. Yes, 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 yes. I wonder if um, Peter Mendelssohn is going to do the covers. Oh, that's these. right. That's that. I think was his big bra- his his big yeah. first big cover. Because he talked that? to you about yes. designing those when he was on the Reading Lives That's show. That's right. Um, and they're so recognizable. Yeah, they're great. They're unbelievable covers. Um, so I wonder. We'll see. I mean, it could be a, it could be you know like a James Bond sort of situation where after Ian Fleming gone, you know, Ian Fleming Bond has been written by multiple mm-hmm. authors, and some of the post Fleming books are just as good and dare I say even better <laughs> than some of the Fleming originals and. Elizabeth is one of those characters that sort of exceeds the book she's in mm-hmm. somehow. Uh, you know, has has a presence that doesn't really depend on the plot. 
Yeah. So that I think it makes for uh, a passing the torch makes a lot of sense. It says here that the books have sold 80 million copies worldwide <sighs> since the dragon tattoo, the girl with the dragon tattoo went on sale in 2005. And there were certainly humongous marketing pushes around them. And they came out in mass market paperback eventually, right. which a lot of like stuff that starts in hardcover doesn't always go uh-huh. that direction. But I remember like being in Mexico on vacation four or five years ago and looking around the pool and seeing like half a dozen people mm. <laughs> all reading the same like the first or the second one being like, right, these are huge. You can go anywhere in the world and half a dozen people in that place are are reading these books. Hopefully, I mean, I assume that Random House will do the same kind of push around this. I'm curious if now that there's been, there have been several years, if enough people are still interested to pick up the fourth one. Well, there's been the movie yeah. Um, too, well, the, the the Swedish movie is actually supposed to be really great. Mm-hmm. And then there was the American movie. Um, I, I think it's going to be a big deal. I think it's going to be a big deal. We'll see. Um, 500 pages long. So it says. The, the, the original books are long, too. Very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are long. So put together your Billy bookcase and warm up some Billy's <laughs> pizza. We're going, we're going back with Lisbeth. That's a joke you only get if you've read the books. <laughs> so much Billy's so pizza. Much, and the exact... <laughs> The exact <laughs> specifications of the, all the computers. That's what's you know, going to change the most is that yeah, the computers are going to have these huge stuff. SSDs and, you know, retina displays. I'm sure we'll get the exact dimension. I hope, I kind of hope they keep some of that weird ticks that Larson had mm-hmm. about being specific about the furniture and right. frozen food. Or maybe it'll just stay set in the time period in which Larson was writing them. And so we'll get oh. to see those old tech references. Like the technology <laughs> moves so fast. Like this is an aside, but I'm marathoning Gilmore Girls right now mm. on Netflix. And the one I watched last night, I think is from 2001. And they took actual Polaroids. Oh, like, yeah. Lorelai comes in from an event and Rory wants to see pictures and she pulls actual Polaroids out of her purse. And I had this moment of, right, even as recently as 2001, which was when I graduated high school, if you came home from a thing and you wanted to show people pictures immediately, you had to have taken Polaroids. There weren't, you know, digital cameras weren't even a good thing at that point to be able to show people the picture (laughs) in the camera. Like, (laughs) let me show you this screen on the back of my camera. That's so Um, funny. Yeah, I want to. I kind of want to keep the nostalgia of the weird, like clunkier technology, and you know, at least older technology mm-hmm. in the dragon tattoo. But hackers, thing. there's so much hacking. Yeah, so much. So hacking. much. Um, you know, speaking of big books, big books, we got the details about the hottest and the coldest book categories of 2014 from Publishers Weekly. I thought this Weekly. was interesting. This is interesting. So. Only two categories of adult fiction increased in print unit sales last year. Mm -hmm. And they were? They were graphic novels and, which I believe because comics is really having a moment. Yeah, for sure. And this one, Westerns. Was there a big Western book last year that maybe... I I have been racking my Mm. brain. I I don't, I don't know. Uh, Unit sales by category in thousands. Mm-hmm. So that means there were 8.6 million graphic novels sold last year mm-hmm. of, from 7.6. And this is just the U.S.? Yeah. Yes. So some of that is, it's it, compared to some of the other categories, it's a relatively small number. But it's now bigger than fantasy. And it was a 13% increase yeah. over 2013. It's bigger than classics. Which dipped by 3%. Um, it's bigger than religion. 
Uh, it's bigger than sci-fi, which mm-hmm. is 4 million unit sales. Uh, Western, some of that is it's a small number. It went from 2 million to 2.2 million. So, well, le- a little more than 2 million. It takes a smaller bump to make a bigger difference. smaller bump to make that percentage right. difference. Um, general fiction is 33 million units. Right. Romance, lest you forget, <laughs> 30 million units yep. sold, but down 11% from last year. Um, action adventure down 15%. Again, that's yeah. a small, but and the, this is in print. It is so in print. They, yes, 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 yes. Uh, I would bet those romance numbers increased mm-hmm. digitally. We can scroll down. And graphic and novels, I assume as well, are relatively mm-hmm. buoyant because they, you know, they tend to look better in print yeah. and it's not as easy to read on your say phone. Um, or religious as fiction dipped by 15%. Hmm. And Religious books always seem to top, you know, the print sales. Religious nonfiction and Bibles were up 12% over 2013, but fiction dipped. And I've been thinking about that. Like, I guess it's been a while since I've seen a mainstream religious fiction breakout. Like The Shack was a bestseller for years and years right. and years. And the Left Behind books, there was a new one was, every yeah. like every couple of months for several years. And I, I think it's been a little while since They were those trying to make something out of this heaven ended. is for real business, but that didn't really seem to go anywhere as far and that as I was, can tell. And that was... Um, but that was presented as nonfiction. Oh, right. right. <laughs> I forgot the for real part. <laughs> did you and Amanda talk about that retraction? No, we, okay. we, I don't think we did, actually. Um, where this kid who had said he'd been to heaven and someone made a book out of it, retracted mm-hmm. and said, no, that was all made up. And I was yeah, doing it because and, of pressure and wanted attention. And they pulled the book. Yeah, it's not the heaven is for real kid. It's something uh, it's else. A, it's another book about heaven being for real. Yeah. Um, let's see. But, but the best upshot of that piece was that it refer like the first piece about that retraction referred to the category as heaven tourism, which is apparently uh, a thing that religious publishers are thinking about now. Uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't like that. It's that, I mean, bad job, whoever wrote that copy um, <laughs> like, or whoever told them that that was, I mean, really? In the adult nonfiction category, I thought it was interesting. Biography, autobiography, memoir was up 12% mm. year over year, which is We're, the second biggest increase over self-help. So, I'm thinking the mm-hmm. Kaling, the Dunham, the Polar. Hillary. Hillary all together now. Like that's a pretty, that's a pretty big fearsome. I know. I mean, at least internally, a lot mention, of people like, reading the Polar and When Polar Bad and Feminist hit the New York Times bestsellers. Would um, that be an autobiography memoir? Or would that yeah, be in I, essays? I, it's like half and half. I think I would put it in memoir. Maybe. I don't know. General nonfiction. There's not an essays category, so it yeah. might, by default, get hmm. put into there. Um, the other nonfiction categories that were up, business and econ, up 7%. Self-help, up 15%. Religion and Bibles, up 12%. The big losers, humor, <laughs> down 13%. I wonder why that is. I mean, that's 900 million units different, yeah, so that, that makes something's different there. Um, yeah, so a lot of flux. 900 million? Uh, 900,000, pardon Okay. <laughs> yeah, bigger than the entire publishing industry. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> juvenile fiction, just in case you were wondering, general juvenile <laughs> fiction was up 2% to 52 million units. <laughs> Social situations, family, and health, 27 million units. Science fiction, fantasy, magic, 45 million units, up 38% year over year. Um, holidays, festival, and religion, 8.6. What a weird category. Every category of... YA Children's was up except for animals, which was down 4%. Yeah. 
but just huge numbers. Juvenile juvenile fiction is bigger than <sighs> everything. Well, no, I mean <laughs> adult, adult nonfiction, nonfiction. But it's it's you know it's thirty percent bigger than adult fiction. It's huge. So big. Um, in total, YA children's YA up twelve percent, and total adult fiction down eight percent. So mm-hmm. in see. print sales, print sales, yeah. yes. Keep remembering that. Any major surprises there for you? You know, not really. Um, and these are also the categories that are it's book scan only. So we've talked before about like right. the caveats of wh- what kind of numbers you're missing. Um, they know that the segment, which has the largest uh, juvenile genre segment, um, has the 2014 blockbusters that have the, that includes the Divergent trilogy, all that Frozen franchise oh, that we I talked about a couple about weeks that, ago. Where the, where the fantasy one was, that's and, Frozen. Um, okay. The James, James Dashner's latest novels, I think that follow up the Maze Runner and the new ones from Rick Riordan. Um, but the games activities and hobbies segment had a 33% rise in 2014, which Man. PW attributes that to the Minecraft titles oh, yes. and a bunch of Lego and sticker books. Well, but the, those there Minecraft were three of those books, Minecraft books were in like mm-hmm. the top 10 books that right. we talked about a couple weeks ago. So there's the numbers. I like it I'm broken down. totally stuck on Westerns. If any of you guys have an idea about what was driving sales of Westerns in Western fiction in print, I would love to hear it. I'm just stumped. I, uh, I can't think of it. Yeah, I just don't I, know. I don't know. Yeah, if, if there was a book, if you read Westerns and you follow that community, I assume, you know, we don't hear about a Western community like we hear about the sci-fi community, the fantasy community, or the young adult, or comics. Like, hmm. maybe it's... maybe point. it's Is there one? Uh, maybe it's just 50-year-old dudes at the library. I mean, that could be a community, too, this yeah, on the internet. aren't blogging and making I, I, community I think Michelle it? told me this story. I don't know if it was her grandfather or someone her grandfather knew who used to, at the library, he read, you know copious numbers of westerns and would write in the like in pencil and like i think it was like always on a certain page like it would page 91 or something he'd make a little mark so Uh he could pick up a book and see if he'd read it already (laughs) that's great someone told me that story i think there's also there is a tradition too of of libraries where on the back page like it was acceptable. I have to double check this, but I remember hearing about some this happening somewhere, where a, a whole bunch of different readers would do the same thing. And like the like in one of the end papers, it was just like they took it over, and each one had their special mark, not their name or anything. Uh-huh. But it was like a circle with two strikes through it, or something like that. Was your little <laughs> mark as a way to you know before there was a Goodreads, uh-huh. um, yeah. and I guess you didn't just keep around like a yellow legal pad. You actually made the books themselves. Your index, that story's always stuck That's with me. And I'm sure I'm mangling really, some bits of it, but I found so it. My dad read all the Louis L'Amour books. Well, he's a dad. I have to read yeah. those. When my son was born, I got this card from the government saying, you like, have five years to complete at least 12 Louis L'Amour novels. Um, <laughs> there'll be a quiz. For, like, there was a whole shelf on our Were they leather bound? bookshelves. <laughs> no, yeah, my, so grandfather, no my grandfather mahogany. had a whole leather bound collection of like the complete Louis L'Amour. 
No, my dad traveled a lot for work. Ah. And um, so he, it was the Louis L'Amour like mass market paperbacks. But I just can picture that like whole shelf of them. And I know it happened at least once that he, you know, bought one in an airport somewhere to start it and then discovered that it felt a little too familiar <laughs> and came home. And sure enough, like that same one was on the shelf already. So it would be useful if you were at least the library reader to have your little secret mark and be able <laughs> right. to remind yourself of which ones of the relatively similar have you ever read Louis one of them? stories? I haven't. Westerns are the, I think that's one of my holdout mm. genres. And I don't really know why other than the stubborn, like, what could I possibly find interesting or relate to in a Western, which is just stubborn and ridiculous. Like, I held out on romances for forever for similar reasons. And now I love I like romance, Westerns, so but I've I never read one. I've never read one of those. I don't know what the particular pleasure of Louis L'Amour in particular is like, you know, I love Lonesome Dove and, you know, stuff like yeah. that. So I'm going to read Lonesome Dove this year. I feel like um, Jen might. Oh, she loves me. Lonesome Dove. If I, I don't, remember and that. It's on, it's on Oyster. I can read it without having to carry around a 900 page book. Oh, you're going to like Lonesome Dove. I think I'm so. excited about that. The like language the sisters, is great. The Sisters Brothers I've had forever and just haven't read like i i don't know what it is but oh also i am going to read mary doria russell's new book epitaph which is takes place in the okay corral mm, so yeah uh so yeah westerns so we got him talking about that that's interesting and unplanned but <laughs> come on down this rabbit hole yeah uh let's see where else we want to go how are we doing want to talk about these online courses yeah, simon and schuster is going to sell why don't you walk us through this real quick okay so this it came out a couple weeks ago and we've just been bumping it off yeah. so that we could have time to talk about it. But Simon & Schuster is making its first paid foray or its first foray into paid online video with a new website that will offer courses in health finance and self-help from Simon & Schuster authors. Um, so you can pay between 25 and 85 bucks for the workshop, which includes videos, workbooks, and access to live Q&A sessions currently featuring three authors, um, Dr. David B. Aegis, who is the best-selling author of The End of Illness, uh, Zena Musica, who wrote the self-help book Life by the Cup, and Tosha Silver, who's the author of the spiritual advice book Outrageous Openness. Hmm. Um, the courses are going to be available on these authors' individual websites and on Simon & Schuster's new website for this, which is called Simon Says. And uh, Carolyn Reedy, who's the president and uh, CEO of Simon & Schuster, said that consumers have made it plain that they want and expect more from authors than just books. This initiative is also another way for us to expand what Simon & Schuster can provide to our authors, building audiences for their books and creating new revenue streams. Um, and they pull in some numbers here about how globally 1 billion people watch 300 million hours of YouTube videos every day. Um, and Simon & Schuster sales fell 11% in the third quarter of last year. Um, sales of digital content were flat. Um, and so th they're trying other ways mm -hmm. to, to make money and to pull in readers. 12 to 15 more courses planned for the year. I think this is interesting. Like, um, I, I don't... I I don't, Amanda, I think talked about after we we're done recording the show just a mm. little bit last time. And I was saying, this is, authors have long, I think, been envious of musicians insofar as, you know, musicians can pay a premium for live experiences. Like that's right. built into the, and, and as music sales have been a smaller and smaller part of ways to make revenue, they've had this live performance ticket and t-shirt business to fall back on or like remember that that's kind of how these things started. Like records were actually secondary initially mm -hmm. to live performance. So 
I think this is a way of trying to get to that. I mean, we know this from what we do online, that authors want to be around, have access to interactions with authors. We know that mm-hmm. to be true. Yeah. I don't think anyone's like captured like the right form yet. I'm not sure that this, this is it necessarily, yeah. but there's something there. Like someone's going to figure something out. Yeah, I think this is a good, I mean, we've seen some success in in-person events from um, John Green has done some well, yeah, live Yeah, but if you're John Green, shows. like that's one right. thing. Yeah, Neil Gaiman has done some live road shows. I think, you know, like the 92nd Street Y in New York sells tickets yes. to its event. Um, the Strand sells tickets to some of its events or requires you to spend like 15 bucks to get Do we know how much of in. that money makes it back to the author, though? I don't you know, know the, in, the answer no, to any No, I think of that. that's more... Uh, um, Bookstore ones, I think it's typically the store right. is trying to ensure that they're going to make some kind of money on the event. I'm sure the publisher is not making any book. money off of it except for the books, the sort of for ancillary book sales. Book sales. Right. Um, yeah. And it's this to me falls like way back to a history of like, you know, concerts traditionally or things that you've had to pay for to go see a live performance where readings and literary salons have not been. And so mm-hmm. this is writers trying to overcome that history and find ways to get readers to pay for an experience with an author um, in a way that readers have never had to before. And so there's some more there's more resistance there than there is to the notion that you'd have to pay for a concert. I think it makes a ton of sense. It makes sense to do it with self-help yeah. type authors. Um or it feels yeah, like you're getting something beyond just sort of, I guess, yeah, entertainment like, I mean, value, maybe. Right. I don't know if like a workbook is the way that I would do mm-hmm. this thing. I think I would make it a full online course. Um, yeah. But, but it, this seems smart to me. Like imagine Susie Orman doing an online course where it was you and I'm however sure many people. I'm sure she does something like that. But yeah. Right. Um, but, you, you know, you paid, you got access. I don't know if these are limited. I would assume. Well, that let's take one a, we would do. Like David mm-hmm. Allen. Yeah, yeah. Right? 85 mm-hmm. bucks, and it's a, I don't know, X number of, you know, online videos plus workshops. I maybe would consider doing it, you know, or something like that, where you take someone who has a name, recognition, and expertise right. and enjoyable, and you package it up to be experienced over time. Like, there's something there um, for sure. And I, I'm not into cookbooks, so... You know, I have no idea if people who are into cooking or cookbooks find this exciting. They may very well. I'm sure that people are into self-help. I mean, this is the self-help stuff is that's bigger than mm-hmm. books, you know. Oh, there's a the self-help people doing seminars in hotels on Saturday mornings like that's right. been going on for a long time. Yeah, I think self-help and finance and health are the the perfect places for it. I would think about doing it for David Allen. Like with cooking, I think I would watch videos I do mm-hmm. like I've watched cooking demonstration videos online I've watched like here's how you hold a knife properly but unless you're getting some kind of like like these live Q&A sessions that they're offering for self-help that makes a ton of sense you're getting some kind of interaction with the author that you couldn't get otherwise I don't know what kind of interaction I'd be looking yeah. for from like if Ina Garten did one of these am I going to be like Ina so let's say I need to use half and half instead of heavy cream how do I do that substitution mm. um, what kind of interaction you could really get out of it how about this Dan Brown hosts an eight session tour of Europe with Rick Steves take all <laughs> there of my you money go. we figured now. it out just take it I think uh, I think we should do that um, I don't know interesting so let's see. Yeah, so I think they're going to try to figure something out. It'll be at interesting some point. to see what the what the next ones that they release 
are. Um, you know, Oprah sort of crossed over into this in the later Oprah years. I remember um, Gary Zukov's book, The Seed of the Soul. Mm. She had him on a bunch of times on on the show. And that's that's sort of a new age spirituality book. And um, Eckhart Tolle, I don't know if yeah, that's how yeah, you put it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But those, um, those you know, self-help spirituality authors were getting a ton of exposure and selling a bajillion books from being on Oprah and, you well, know, Dr. Talking, Phil, right. That's the, that's right, the prime example. Talking to that, that right. And, and talking to that audience, you know, about those issues. So this also kind of feels like a continuation and a, a way to expand that beyond like, now you don't need Oprah to give your authors this platform. Simon and Schuster is going to make you. Yeah. Use their marketing and PR and Which, the digital tools are available so that you can be a mid list or you don't have to be John green yeah, to fill that's a stadium. That's my big question is how are they going to market this? Like how are the people who are interested in the end of illness or life by the cup supposed to find out yeah, about this know. author doing this thing? I don't know. I mean, I guess any, any book that, you know, sells, couple hundred thousand titles, let's say a big book, mm -hmm. there's going to be like a 1% super fan, right? Right. Like, and if right. you can get some of those people to pay a premium, you and I have sort of talked about this before in various venues. Like if you can get the super fan engaged and give them something that they'll want to pay for, you don't need that many to make it interesting for most authors. Right. You're going to gonna make like 80% of your juice off 20% yeah, of your yeah. audience. Yeah. Classic power law sort of situation. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how do you get to that 1%? Now, if you only get to 1% of the 1% in terms of marketing and publicity, then I don't know you get anywhere. Um, but maybe, maybe you have to go choose authors that already have a good social platform mm -hmm. of their own. They already right. have a half million Facebook and you put something. something on the back flap that's yeah. like, you know, for more, check out this author's website and sign up for their online courses mm -hmm. and they put it into right onto their own, own social stuff. You know, authors have a Twitter feed, they've got a Tumblr, a Facebook page, and they could just push it. Yeah, they could advertise on, say, podcasts that are related to books. I'm, I don't know. I'm <laughs> spitballing here. Don't really know. The day that David Allen and Getting Things Done sponsored this podcast, I'm just going <laughs> to... There's a new version coming out. I'm just going to too late. It's going to be like the Wicked Witch melting in the <laughs> Wizard of Oz. <laughs> just all that's going to be left is your ago. red converse on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> okay, let's do. Uh, no, we better get to. Well, we got one more <laughs> story. We've been shuttling along, but it, it'll it'll stay good for next week. Let's get to new books. All right. You know. Okay. New books. Good. We're still in good new books yeah. uh, season. Lots of good stuff this week. The first is the Jaguars' Children by John Valent. This is his first novel, but he had a big book out a couple of years ago called The Tiger that was about tigers and was crazy great. Um, in this novel is about uh, a a man, a boy named Hector, um, who is traveling with a bunch of other people to try to cross the border from Mexico into the United States. And so he's in the back of this truck that they're sealed into, basically. The coyotes, the people that are supposed to be taking them across the border, have taken all of the passengers' money, um, saying that the truck has broken down and they need, they need to go get a mechanic, but the coyotes never return. Uh, and so Hector mm. and the rest of the people who are trying to make this journey are stuck together in this truck and they have no choice but to wait. Um, Hector finds a name in his friend's phone. It's a name that has an American phone number. And he starts um, trying to reach her. Uh, the, the name is Annie Mack um, to get rescue and also to pass along the message that his friend has come trying to deliver. And so over the course of four days, they send these messages. Food and water are running low. And Hector tells his story to Annie Mack, to this person across the phone. Um, I have not read this yet. Liberty 
loved it. Mm. And her write-up in the New Books newsletter this week made me be like, oh, right, I need to read that immediately. Um, but it's so it's a suspense novel, but it's this window into a relationship also between two cultures and into a very particular experience of trying to cross the border um, and, and, you know, sort of the not even sort of, of the very unpleasant situations that that can lead to. Um, it's getting all kinds of great buzz as well. And I trust Liberty's Read It Now recommendations mm-hmm. implicitly. Uh, also is out, also out this week, um, also another kind of suspense thriller, is Wolf Winter by Cecilia Ekbach. Um, it's set in the Swedish Lapland in 1717. Uh, this family uh, tends a flock of goats on a mountain and their daughter arrives upon a mutilated body one day. It's one of their neighbors and he's dead and it's dismissed as a wolf attack. But the family feels certain that the wounds could only have been inflicted by a human. Uh, and so they feel compelled to investigate this neighbor's death and also uh there are other deaths that are also attributed to wolves, but it seems that something more sinister is actually happening. Mm. And so this wolf winter is the winter that these wolves are apparently killing a bunch of people, but it's not the wolves. It's something else. Amanda really loved this one. She's been cool. talking about it a lot. I have that one as well. It, the cover also just looks perfect for reading on a miserable snowy day while you're counting the 31 days until March. Um So that one is recommended. And then in paperback this week is Caffeinated by Murray Carpenter, which is narrative nonfiction about caffeine and um, about coffee and our addiction to it, about coffee and caffeine as a drug that we make legal. Um, Our good friend Josh Christie loved it and has talked about it a ton. And um, I have it on audiobook right now. I'm just about to start it. Um, But I love that sort of deep dive. He said it and Josh has said it's kind of Mary Roach-ish in its approach to, Mm. um, you know, unearthing the sort of the history of all of it, but also the place of coffee coffee and caffeine in culture and society and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so that should be fun. I'm looking forward to nerding out. Yeah, I got book-related follow-up from last week that I was saving for here. Um, Amanda mm. and I last week were talking about the, the BBC did the poll of the 12 best novels of the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. And we were saying and asking for suggestions for sci-fi because there mm. wasn't one on the list. And we got some recommendations. Um, Julianne wrote in, and her pick, and um, also Justin did too, he gave us a bunch. But one that I heard a couple times was Embassy Town by China Mieville, which is yeah. a good pick. I forget about Mieville because he writes in so many genres. I forget, my brain doesn't go to him to like say, what did he have recently? Mm-hmm. So that's a really good pick. The other one that was mentioned by several readers was not one particularly, but... Um, uh, Margaret Atwood's, I guess it's the Matt Adam trilogy. Is that yeah, what we're calling yeah. it? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if because there were several that not, no one of them sort of burbled up to the top, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but I think both of those, you could make a really good case for being in the mix for some of the best books of the 21st century so far. So thanks um, so much to Julianne and Justin, especially um, for writing in with a bunch of good recommendations as well. Um, yeah. So I guess that's our show this week. Went awful yeah. fast. It feels like. It did go fast. Email us with your questions for the 100th episode. Yeah, we're looking for those. That's that's prime directive right now. We want to have a good show. And, uh, you know, if you would wear a Book Riot podcast t-shirt, if you have ideas for what they should be, uh, podcast at bookriot.com. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Book Riot. Jeff is the Jeff O'Neill on Twitter, O-N-E-A-L. And I am at Rebecca Shinsky, mm-hmm. S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. 
And what else can the people do? They can they, rate or review they rate the show on, on iTunes? iTunes. If you want to, you could listen to the Reading Lives podcast. This week, I had Mavesh Murad. Um, ah, so fascinating. Did you, did you listen to it? It was so good. Yeah, she's, she's so interesting. So interesting. Um, she's a writer and podcaster who has a literary podcast for tour called Midnight in Karachi, and she lives in Karachi, Pakistan. And so a lot of it was about her life growing up in Pakistan as a reader and um, how she got books and what she read and then moving around the world. And I thought it was super interesting and one of the great accents of all time. Um, you can listen to Rita's Dear Book Nerd podcast, which is you were on recently. Are you? You're the I most was. recent episode. Yeah, I you am. Are. It's the uh, first anniversary yeah. of Dear Book Nerd. We had a lot of fun. Good. You go listen to that. I have that, that queued up, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. I'm looking forward to that. So those are some you other get, places you could go to. You can get your show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast. That's how you wrap up a show. Um, and as always, guys, thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back uh, next week. Have a good one. <laughs>